All right, who's ready for a Bible study this morning? Let's go ahead and grab our Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 28. Matthew chapter 28. <clears throat> so this morning we rip, uh, rip up, <laughs> wrap up our series called So Now What? A series that we put in place to look at various passages of the New Testament that look at explanation and give us some idea of what we can expect, but also what we need to be doing during these days in which we live, believing that we are in the last days. And of course, this followed a 10-month look at the book of Revelation together. But now as we are making our way out of that, next week we're going to start something brand new. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to go to the first book of the Bible, and we're going to look at a uh, passage of Scripture, the first 11 chapters in a series entitled, uh, In His Image. And we're going to remind ourselves what it means to be made in the image of God. There's a lot of confusion about identity today, isn't there? Well, we're going to clarify what God says our identity in, his, in Him is. But to wrap this up this morning, I want to take you to Matthew chapter 28 in a message entitled, Our Marching Orders. We know this passage to be the Great Commission. These are the words that Jesus gave his disciples before his ascension, commissioning them to go into all the world and to make disciples. Unfortunately, in our society today, the Great Commission has become the great omission. Let me say that again. <clears throat> the great commission has become the great omission. Many churches have forgotten what we are here for. Many Christians have forgotten what we are here for. So I wanted to clarify on this special day why we are here as a church, why God has sent us into the world, why God has us here for a moment such as this. Let's begin by reading verse 18 to 20 together. And Jesus came and he spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even, always, even till the end of the age. Today, the church, speaking of identities, I think in America has, for the most part, lost its identity. We have forgotten why we are here and what we are supposed to be doing. Many today, when asked the question, why do you attend church, or why do you believe church exists in our world today, the number one answer was to help people become the best people that they can become. Number two was to create a place for social interaction. Number three was to create and correct social justice. And number four, which used to be number one, to make people feel better. Now, those may be a byproduct of church in some way or another, but it isn't the sole purpose that we are here. 
It isn't the fulfillment of the Great Commission as Jesus had stated to his disciples was their purpose of being here. When a thousand people were asked in a latest poll why the church existed and what they were looking for within a church, out of those thousand people, 89% of them responded to the question, why does the church exist, by answering and saying, the church's purpose is to take care of my family and my, my family's needs and my personal needs. Now, I've said this before. We've had people come through the church over the years. I'll never forget one gentleman who said to me that they heard us online. They liked what we're doing. They liked the music. They like everything about the church. And he came, he goes, but we're looking at other churches because we want to make sure that we get the most for our tithing buck. So I handed him a list of churches in the area, and I thought, these might be better for you. Now, that's what I wanted to do, okay? But somewhere in pastor school, I heard we had to be compassionate, okay? Because you knew that the whole purpose of them coming was to consume rather than commune with the people. They wanted to consume rather than to contribute. And I mean, what I mean by contribute, I mean their uh, talents, their gifts, their love for one another, etc. But that is not the purpose that God has set the church in the world for. Again, these may be byproducts, but it isn't the sole purpose. The sole purpose of the church existence in the world is to make disciples. The answer. That's our purpose for being here. And Jesus outlines for us what is necessary to complete that. As one wrote, he said this the purpose of the church is to gather out of the world a people of God whose lives are hid in Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. In fact, Paul the Apostle in the book of Titus, chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, he said it this way, For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. And this is what we're going to look at today, the making of disciples. Now, before I go any farther, by a show of hands, how many of you see yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Raise your hand. Okay, the reason I ask that is because many Christians don't see themselves that way. They see themselves as merely maybe a spectator or just one who likes to participate lightly. They don't see themselves as a disciple. May I suggest that the Bible teaches that every Christian is a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every Christian. There aren't, you know, different classes of Christians. 
There aren't those hierarchies of Christians in the sense that some Christians are just better than others or more radical than others. God has called you as a Christian to be a full-on radical for Jesus Christ. Let me just say it that way. Meaning that we are sold out to Him for His glory and His purposes. He saved us for a purpose. He saved us with a plan in mind. He didn't save us that we may just become spectators and watch others do the work of the grand redemption that he has instituted through his first coming and will culminate in his second. We are all meant to play a role in what God is doing, each and every one of us, in some way, shape, or form. But notice with me as we travel back to Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. In verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, that is the disciples, who we now have classified as all of us. And he says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now we need to know and understand what he means by this. He was getting ready to send them out into the world. To kick them out of the nest. They would travel through most of the known world by the end of their lives and a large portion of the world would be turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. But why did Jesus use these words initially to set all of this in motion? Because traveling through the Roman Empire required a certain um, privilege. And that privilege was indicated by papers that they would carry. Paul talks about this in the book of Acts, these papers that identify him as a Roman citizen that gave him the authority to travel throughout the known world that the Roman Empire uh, controlled without being uh, hindered and without being detained. Jesus is now saying, I have all authority and I am sending you out into the world and my authority supersedes that of the Roman Empire. And I am with you wherever you go, giving them the confidence needed to take the next step out. When we think about making disciples, when we think about evangelism, we have to retain the idea that we are not alone in the process. That not only is God with us, but he's given us the authority through the gospel, through the power of the Holy Spirit, to share the good news of Jesus Christ and let it do its work. So when the authorities of this world, if they were to clamp down on us and say, hey, we don't want you saying those things anymore, we don't want you talking about Jesus anymore, we then have to remember that God says that he is of all authority. And I am a citizen of his kingdom. And though I look to obey the government whenever I can, whenever possible, if what they dictate to me supersedes the commands of Jesus Christ, my first and foremost allegiance is to my God. And I'm going to take the gospel into the world, even if they prohibit me from doing so. Remember in the book of Acts when Peter was told by the religious leaders, hey, we don't want you talking about this Jesus anymore. 
We, we, we want you to stop now. No more healing in his name. No more preaching the gospel that he is Messiah. We want you to stop. Peter asked the question, yeah, you tell me, is it better to obey you or to obey God? That's the question that we have to ask ourselves. Now, we have to do things with tact. We have to do things in love, but also in boldness, also with resolution. We, re we need to understand that we are carrying a message into the darkness that's going to bring light, that is going to save people who are dying and whose lives are being destroyed by the ruler of this world. And you know what? I have to be honest with you. At my age in life, that's all I care about now because the world is destroying people's lives one right after another. There's so much confusion. There's so much darkness. There's so much cruelty in our world today, and the gospel of Jesus Christ is the answer to all of it. It brings people out of death into life, out of darkness into light. How in the world can I say that I love someone and not share the gospel of Jesus Christ with them? How can I do that? I find that contrary in every way, shape, or form. After Jesus was Christ's death and resurrection, God the Father gave him all authority. And he is now saying, it is under my authority that I am sending you into this world. I don't know about you, but I gain great confidence from that. That when I may feel that I'm standing there alone, sharing the gospel in a concerning situation, or under the forbidding of the local government, I realize that my dad is standing behind me, that I have all heaven's authority assigned to me to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with that person. And I don't care what Satan throws at them and or me, the gospel is going to have its perfect work. God is going to do what God is going to do. I love that. I used to love saying, my dad is bigger than yours. And now I can say that with all authority. But we are set into this world to make disciples. Notice with me in verse 19. The focal point of this is the making of disciples. And what that means, it means that we are looking to cultivate, to nurture an individual from the moment they come to saving faith and are found to be a babe in Christ to a, a mature adult Christian. Someone who knows what they believe and why they believe it. Someone who is full grown in the faith. And I'm borrowing New Testament language when I say that. You know, there's a lot of Christians in America today that are as deep as a teaspoon. Theologically, they get their ideas of God from such reputable places such as Facebook and TikTok. And they believe that they know about him and that little limited amount of knowledge that they know is sufficient to carry them through this world. But may I say that God has given you the ultimate resource and that is his word. His word will take you into that maturity that he has asked us to proceed in. You know, babies are great. I, I have to admit, when I first got married, I was baby impaired, okay? 
I think this is why God allowed me to get married last out of all of my friends. You know, they, they got married earlier in life. I was a little bit later in life. I watched everything that they did. They were married and they were having children before I got married. And I was always the fun uncle here. Oh, Uncle Eric's here. And they'd always want to pass the kid off to me. And I'm like, listen, I don't have insurance. If I drop it, it's, if it breaks, it's on me. You know, I was always like, what else? You know, okay. Hi, Uncle Eric's here. Let me give him back to the parents. But then my turn came. I'd never forget when Dina first came that morning. I woke up, she was gone. I thought the rapture had taken place and God finally had enough of me. She was gone. I was like, what, what is going on? So I did what any concerned husband would do. I went back to bed. And then all of a sudden I hear the door open. She comes in. She takes this little package and she puts it next to the bed and she says, I've got a surprise for you. And I'm like, oh, great. Uh, I'm like, you know, I thought it was for me. And all of a sudden I... I opened it up, and it's this little bear's jersey that said Benz on the back, and I'm like, that's a little small for me. And you say, what are you trying to say through this? I'm a little confused. And she says, well, guess what? We're going to have a baby. And I did, again, what any great husband would do. I would look at her, because we had just started the ministry, okay? I looked at her, and I said, honey, I love you, but it's not in the budget. Can we put it on layaway, you know? And she goes, well, in nine months, we have to purchase it one way or another. And then it was my turn to become that dad. And I got to be honest with you. I never thought that I could experience such love as that that I did when I first held my daughter in my hands. It was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Again, I was afraid I was going to break her, and I looked for baby bubble wrap so, you know, she would be protected. And I was really happy when I got diaper changing down to 30 minutes. I, I, was, I thought I had absolutely accomplished everything. And thank God for Velcro, or my daughter would have been holy and more raised than one, okay? And feeding her was a blast, you know. And uh, Dina would go to work, and we'd had Daddy-Daughter Day, and sit her in her high chair, and I'd feed her and everything. It was all cute and fun. But if that would have continued on until she was... 13? She's sitting at a high chair and I'm feeding her? Okay, not so much anymore. Huh? 24. Sitting in a high chair, eating food, you know, me feeding her? Oh, that's concern. That's troubling. Okay? That's like, we got bigger problems than we think. So many Christians are still in that arrested state of growth. And at 24, they still need to be hand-fed the milk of the Word of God. When Paul in Hebrews chapter 6 tells us clearly that we need to go on to solid food. We need to mature. A disciple, making a disciple includes all of that. Starting them off and helping them along the way. That they may reach full maturity in Christ. One called a disciple this. A disciple attached himself to a teacher, identified with him, learned from him, and lived with him. He learned not simply by listening, but also by doing. 
And this is the manner in which our Lord called the twelve to him to be his disciples. How we make disciples, notice with me, three-step process. Number one, in verse 19, go. Go, therefore. We have to take a step out. The word in the Greek can also mean going. I mean, we're in a constant state of motion. We're moving continuously. We're marching on. Remember when Jesus said that if you come to a city and they don't accept what you have to say, kick the dust off your feet and keep moving on. The first component of the word go there in the Greek is that we keep moving forward. We keep going. But it can also mean as we go along our way, meaning as we go throughout life. It's not so much going into a specific direction, but as we continue going, going on through life, we seek to make disciples. And the beginning of that process would be to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, to see them come to saving faith. And we know that that's a three-step process, right? Some sow, some water, some reap. So as we keep going through life, as we go through life, we should be looking to plant seeds, to water seeds that are already planted, and then ask God for the increase, ask God to reap those things that have been sown. You know, and often we feel like, well, I have to have a certain level of knowledge I have to know the Bible well enough to engage in these conversations. Guys, that could be the farthest from the truth. It could begin with your own story and how you came to saving faith. Like the blind man who was found blind in the temple, Jesus healed him. The religious Pharisees began to grill him right away afterwards, asking, who is it that healed you? How were you healed? Etc. And he basically said this, all I know is I was blind and now I can see. And he's the one that did it, pointing to Jesus. It can be as simple as your story. But trust me, whatever you think you don't know, the person you're witnessing to knows even less, right? Knows even less. I'll never forget leading my best friend to Jesus Christ when I first became a Christian. And again, here I am, 16 years old. I know all about biblical theology, right? I'll never forget talking with him. He, he came to me. He says, hey, Eric, i got to ask you, man, what's all with all this church stuff? You know, I, I, you're reading the Bible. You're praying. You tell people that God loves it. What is up with you? And I said, well, hey, this is what happened. I told him how I became a Christian. And then I said to him, I said, listen, I'm going to just tell you straight up. I said, turn or burn. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, turn to Christ or you're going to burn in hell. Really? And then I said, repent or perish. This is all I knew, okay? And I basically was reading the t-shirts that I had, okay? You know? And this is what I said to him. He goes, yeah, okay, right, you know, all right, whatever, and he just kind of dismissed it at that moment. I thought that I had totally failed. Three days later, he called me. He said, listen, I was thinking about what you were saying. Can I go to church with you on Sunday? I said, no, you had your opportunity. You're done now. That's all I knew. That's all I knew. He ended up coming to church, and he ended up giving his life to Jesus Christ. 
It begins with going, going into all the world. In Acts 1.8, Jesus prepared his disciples with, by giving them the Holy Spirit for this purpose. He said in Acts 1.8, he says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses to me in Jerusalem, into all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is our marching orders, that we go. As we go, let us keep going, and let us consider as we go through life, looking for the opportunities to sow, to water, or possibly to reap. The second stage is baptism. Notice here. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, meaning go everywhere, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know, when I first became a Christian, one of the first things that people would say to me when I asked them, do you have a relationship with Christ? Do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven? Do you know for sure that Jesus is your Savior? And one of the first things that they used to say to me in reply is this, I was baptized as a baby. And then they, they would kind of smile. Oh, I got that box checked. Okay, and then I would come back at them again in the tactful 18-year-old that I was. And I told them just straight up, that's not going to do you squat. Excuse my language. I was rough back then. I was rough around the edges. I'm not, that's not going to benefit you at all. You see, here at Calvary, we believe in what's known as believer's baptism, that a person becomes a believer and then is baptized. The theological term for that is a credo baptism. A creed is a statement, I believe. And the baptism is simply meant to symbolize, to announce, and to proclaim what has actually already taken place in their heart, that they were dead in the old life and risen to the new life in Jesus Christ. That's what baptism symbolizes. Now, child baptism is called paedo-baptism, where they baptize a little child thinking that that baptism as a little child, is going to bring them into a covenant relationship with God. But that is contrary to Scripture. We don't have one example of that in and through the New Testament. I don't believe a little child can make the decision for Jesus Christ to proclaim through his, him or her baptism that she is a, he or she is a believer. Now, I do believe that if a baby were to die, that they would go into the presence of the Lord. I do believe that. I believe the Bible teaches that. But it doesn't, it doesn't negate your personal responsibility in turning to Christ in repentance and placing your faith and trust in Him for your salvation. Baptism was a big deal in that time. It was a declaration. It was a proclamation that they were now followers of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite baptism occurrences was with the Ethiopian eunuch coming out of Jerusalem. And when Stephen showed him through the book of Isaiah that it spoke of Messiah, the eunuch placed his faith and trust in Jesus Christ and said, is there any reason that I should not be baptized? They just found a puddle, okay? You may think it's weird that we baptize at a water park. They used puddles back then, okay? I think the water park is pretty cool, personally. 
But that being said, the eunuch was baptized, and of course, Stephen was taken, uh, uh, um, not Stephen, um, Philip, thank you. Philip was taken and put back exactly where God wanted him to continue on the ministry that God sought for him. The book of Romans in chapter 6 tells us exactly what baptism is all about, identifying us with the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You can look it up for yourself, Romans 6, 1 through 11. So the second component of this is baptism, allowing the, for the proclamation of our salvation in and through Jesus Christ. Let me say this again. Baptism alone saves no one. The rich young ruler, I'm sorry, the thief on the cross, when he believed he wasn't baptized, he didn't say, listen, can you take me off the cross so I can be baptized and then put me back up there? It didn't happen. So to think baptism alone can save us is incorrect biblically. But it is the second step of identifying with Jesus Christ. First, salvation through Christ, then baptizing into Christ. But then there's a third component found in verse 20. And that is, teach them to observe all things that I have commanded you. This is where the rubber hits the road. This is the method in which God has prescribed to allow a Christian to grow in their Christian life. It is growing in and through the Word of God. When you become a Christian, the Bible says the Holy Spirit takes residence within you. Then you feed the Spirit. The Holy Spirit working with your spirit, feeding the Spirit, you begin to grow as an individual from the inside out. The transformation that takes place in Christianity starts on the interior, not the exterior. So many people think that if I conform exteriorly, uh, from the exterior only, I am conforming into the image of Jesus Christ. That's not true. The religious leaders looked perfect. They looked like religious individuals. And yet Jesus said clearly, your hearts are dead. You're full of all, uh, bones and all corruption, he said. They looked good on the outside, but on the inside they were far from God. The way the Word of God works in our life is from the inside out, changing our heart and therefore changing the way we do things. And I'm not specifically talking about the way we look. I'm talking about the way we act, the way we think, the way we respond, the what we say, changing us from the inside out. Notice with me, in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the very first thing that they did with the new believers that they had as they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Today, the apostles' doctrine, the teaching of Jesus is found in the Word of God, which is the centerpiece for all teaching. Notice with me in 2 Timothy three sixteen and 17. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Notice with me in verse 17, that the man of God, and to conclude the woman of God, may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. This is where the new life uh, grows from, our understanding of God's Word. 
as the Spirit takes the Word of God, changing our heart from the inside out, we then conform to the image of Jesus Christ as we are transformed internally, therefore bearing out externally. And lastly, notice with me, he says this. He says, I am with you always. I want you to underline that. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. And this is why we're looking at it. If we're coming to the end of the age, if we're coming to the second coming of Jesus Christ right now, we need to be reminded of these marching orders. We need to know that the Holy Spirit has been given to us in John 14, 15 through 18. If you love me, Jesus says, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father. And he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you, promising his return. The Holy Spirit is there working alongside of us, working inside of the people in whom we are sharing the gospel with. He's our great partner. He's our great, uh, he's our great advantage over this world. And as the Holy Spirit leads you, may I ask you to be sensitive to his leading. One of my all-time favorite witnessing experiences happened almost 20 years ago now. And there's been many since that, but one of my favorites was an October evening that many from our church ventured to an outside mall in Schaumburg called the Streets of Woodfield. At that time, it was packed on weekends. And this weekend was Halloween weekend. And on Friday night of that particular October, before Halloween, it was hell night at the streets of Woodfield. And just hearing something like that at that time in my life, I was like, that is too tempting to pass up. They want to celebrate hell? I'm going to introduce them to heaven. And so we went, and we had great conversations with people. We talked with people, and we found people extremely receptive. And we would talk with them, listen to their stories, listen to hear a little bit about them, and share Jesus Christ with them. But as the night went on, it was getting closer to 10 o'clock. And we saw some storms rolling in. It was a warm evening that evening. We saw some storms rolling in. We saw the lightning uh, off in the distance. And we thought, you know what, we better hit it. Because, you know, this place is going to clear out pretty quickly. And it was packed absolutely packed. As we were walking to the car, I walked by these group of young people, probably 15, 16 years old, standing outside the Starbucks. I walked past them, walked into the parking lot, getting ready. We were talking about how great the night had been so far. And it was the Spirit of God stopped me in, the tr in my tracks and spoke to my heart. Go back one more time. And I thought, okay, I'm just excited from the moment, you know. 
I'm a little bit on cloud nine, just sharing Jesus with people. And I walked a little farther. And again, go back. Go back. And then you start debating with God, you know, not really God. It's going to rain. Go back. So I went back. And the first group of people that I came to were those young people that were standing outside the Starbucks. And I noticed that someone had a St. Louis Cardinal jersey on. One of, the, one of the girls did. And being a Cubs fan, that's like, you know, wearing a, a Satan jersey, okay? You know, the, the Cardinals. But unfortunately, I think they had won the playoffs or something. And I said, hey, what about your Cardinals? And she goes, oh, I, you know, I don't really follow baseball. And we started into a conversation. And... I said, listen, I just got to ask you guys something, and I know this is probably not a question that you're prepared to answer. I said, but we like to come out here and tell people about Jesus. And let me ask you a question. If something were to happen, do you know for sure you would go to heaven? And of course, she, her, it's just like, oh my gosh, what is this guy talking about? Am I going to die tonight? You know, you can just see it on her face. And then all of a sudden, her friends started gathering around. And next thing I know, we had about 15 kids around us, around me and another person. I forgot who was with me. And we were talking to them about the Lord. And there was this one girl, as I was talking, she was walking behind them, and she was just not having it. She was just like rolling her eyes with the best of them. She was just smirking and just ridiculing us. And I said, okay. I'm going to keep going, you know, because that's who I was. It's like, okay, you're going to mock me? I'm going to keep telling you about the love of Jesus Christ. And we kept saying it, and we kept saying it, we kept talking about it. They were asking questions. We were responding with answers. We started having a dialogue about all of this together. And then I finally said, it's time now. I felt that the Spirit was just leading me to say, would you like to receive Christ as your Savior tonight and know for sure you're going to heaven. And the girl with the St. Louis Cardinal jersey raised her hand. I said, I will not tell you the gospel until you put on a Cubs jersey. No, I didn't say that. I said, listen, you can know right now. And then all of a sudden her friend said, you know what? We all need to do that. Next thing you know, I am leading 15 people to Jesus Christ. And as I bowed my head to pray, People were starting to walk because the group was getting a little larger. And, I, and they prayed with me to receive Jesus. And as I was praying, I did lift my eyes up to see. And the girl that was mocking started crying. Started crying. And after I had shared the gospel, they received the Lord. We started getting them Bibles and things. We started asking them to get plugged into a church and so forth, answering any further questions that they had. I asked the young girl personally, and I said, listen, I said, I see that you didn't really approve of what I was saying. And then I saw that you, you got pretty upset. I said, can I answer any questions for you? And she said, you're not going to believe this. She goes, my grandmother died last week, weekend, it was a week ago, and the last time I saw her, she held my hand and she said, you need to receive Jesus Christ. And I led her to Jesus right there. Be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Be sensitive as we go through life. 
to those opportunities that God opens up for you. Today in our world, there's a lot of confusion. A recent poll taken, and we'll close with this, Nine out of ten Americans could not accurately define the meaning of the Great Commission. Seven out of ten adults have no idea what John 3.16 says or means. Barely one-third of Americans know the meaning of the expression, the gospel. Only four percent of adults could define the Great Commission and, quote, John 3.16 and define the gospel. Yet it is interesting that many stats still reflect that 50% or so of Americans identify themselves as Christians, yet only 4% of people who are polled can define the Great Commission, quote John 3.16 and define the gospel. We have our work cut out for us. But here's the thing. Here is the thing. We are seeing more and more articles being written about the individuals in our culture today asking questions that they cannot receive answers to anywhere else. Guess where they are going to find those answers? Right here. And God wants to use us in a time such as this. Instead of looking at this verse and saying, going into all the world, why, why don't I just give it to you this way? Why don't you go into your world? Instead of worrying about going into the world and crossing, you know, oceans and going into other continents, why don't you just look to cross the street? Maybe asking them if they'd like to pack a shoebox with you. Telling them what it's all about. Giving them the gospel of Jesus Christ as you are doing so. And I leave you with these words. Since Jesus Christ today has all authority, as Warren Worsby wrote, we may obey him without fear. No matter where he leads us, no matter what circumstance we face, he is in control. And by his death and resurrection, Jesus defeated all enemies and won for himself all authority. And where individuals try to overrule uh, us, God overrules them. This is the authority in which we march in. This is the authority that we take the gospel with us into our worlds each and every day. Amen?